Hello, everybody. So if we could try to come a little closer, come together, friends, and try and sit maybe near someone that you don't know, if possible. So as we're moving around, just a little bit of context. So I'm Melissa Crum, and I hold various, facilitate various conversations um, around Columbus, around um, the country, and other countries, having conversations around similar things that's in this film, right? Oftentimes, those conversations can be difficult, but almost always revealing, and can be really helpful if we allow it to be. I'm going to be honest about kind of where, I'm, where my mind is right now and how relevant it is not just to uh, the country, but here in Columbus. And he says, he talks about Birmingham and how Birmingham felt very, very distant to many folks. But what we may not be realizing is we have our own Birmingham just here in Columbus. For example, Linden is our Birmingham, if you will. Um, I do a lot of work in Linden. That goes back to uh, his quote about knowing where we are. So when I do work in Linden, for example, had a project, and we had to push that project back. Oftentimes, you know, working with schools, working with teachers, wasn't pushed back because of, you know, we couldn't get books or something. It was because a child was shot. And then a teacher who just happened to be a nurse was able to revive that child. And then they all had to go back to school the next day. And really thinking about how trauma is living just in our city. Not only folks who are actually being harmed themselves, but around harm. I'm thinking about how Linden has the highest infant mortality rate in the state and almost the top in the country. That means specifically, not just children in general, but specifically black children are dying at one of the highest rates in the United States in our own backyard. We did another work in Linden focused on environmental justice. But as we start thinking about kind of simple things like picking up trash, students begin to understand redlining and when they interviewed the EPA, they told them, actually, it's legal to pollute in your community. It just is. And then trying to understand why, when I live on this side of the street, I was fine, but now on this side, I have asthma. My family has respiratory attacks. Um, there's a high prostate rate cancer in that area. Now, all these things might seem very disparate, right, very separate. But what's underlying all of that is really thinking about what is the state of our country that allows certain things to happen in certain communities for certain groups of people. And that the underlying theme of not only Baldwin, but what we're thinking about today is what is that thing that's at the foundation. So today we're going to have small group discussions and we're going to have two questions. Now, the first one we'll spend a little bit of time on. The last one we'll spend a, a little bit more time. Now, mind you, we only have about 30 minutes, right? And ideally, we have a little longer. But what I want you to do is 
look at your neighbor, around your neighbor. Try and get into something that looks like groups of four or five. Miss, miss. Yes. I'm in my 80th year on this planet. Mm -hmm. And there's one thing very clear. It doesn't take a whole lot of him hawing about it. White male education is at the root of the problem. And those who want to talk about the lack of education in the Constitution don't want to come to grips with, had women been at the table, you can't tell me that women don't want to educate their kids. I'm saying white male education does not talk about the other groups. And everyone comes through that funnel. There, there should be no baffling about that. Now, if you want to talk about some immediate band-aid approach, then you can continue that hymn horn. But a, the death of a thousand cuts gets to be very, very, very irritating. And I think what you have, what you're saying, sir, is incredibly important. Absolutely. <laughs> what we want to do is take a moment to piece through what we're all thinking, how we're all digesting, how we're all processing this film, and what that process looks like, okay? So we're in our groups. Our first question I want us to think about, and what we're going to do is at the end when I say time, someone from your group is going to tell us two interesting points that came from your group. You guys will decide what that is, something you want to share with the rest of us. So the first question is, what does it mean to be equal? Now, for a minute, we could go over some definitions, right? We could talk about equal versus equity. We could say that there are some folks who believe if we, once we do equity, we can get to equality. Some people believe you could do equality and you'll eventually get to equity. There's, there's a lot of, lot of talk around those things, right? But we're going to focus on the word equal, and you can pick through that definition in your groups. One last thing I want us to keep in mind. When I do these conversations, I don't believe in safe space. I don't think that really exists. Because that means that no one in the conversation will ever get their feelings hurt. right? That no one will say something offensive. That no one will be harmed in some kind of way. But what I do believe in is brave space. What's required of brave space is a level of forgiveness, which means you may say something offensive, and someone may say something offensive to you, but that means you must call them out on that in a way that we can all understand why that wasn't the best choice of words, right? So keep in mind that we're in a brave space, right? Again, the question is, what does it mean to be equal? and I will give us about 10 minutes to talk. Go ahead. All right, live great conversations. What group would like to go first to share their two items, preferably in less than three sentences? <laughs> first, only because we got a seven o'clock engagement. So oh, it's all right. The term equal is problematic and challenging. Uh, conceptually, equality 
for me, senses sameness. That what you do for this group, you do for that group. Uh, and it requires quite a juxtapositioning trying to get them even or in some sense a balance. I preferred your question to be, what about fairness and justice? That's kind of what my little group here is, is, is talking about here, that I see some movement that might suggest that this can be provided, that there's an opportunity uh, I can be treated really differently than this person, but my treatment is fair, my treatment is just. There's opportunity to make the touchdown, uh, as opposed to equality, which in my narrow thinking perhaps uh, uh, almost means sameness, uh, almost absolutist. It, it's, it's, it's almost a state of perfection. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We have, we have, this, we have a hand right here. Second mm -hmm. Piper. Oh. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to summarize quickly because there's a lot of us. The starting point of what we talked about was that you can't really get to equality without freedom, that they seem, seem impossible to sort of pull apart. So if people don't have freedom, that's going to be an incredible impediment to, to people ever being equal or, or groups of people ever being equal. We talked about, you know, in terms of fostering equality, that there's sort of these two poles, or we talked about two poles. One is this question of access, which is sort of systemic or structural, but also this aspect of choice, which is very individual. So this idea that you can't be equal if you don't have access, but also the, the freedom of, of choice. Um, we talked about, you know, the metaphor of the level playing field, right, of everyone, of, of that sort of being this idea that people could wrap their heads around when it came to equality. We came down to the, some of the same questions about sameness, so how, how can, you know, two people may not be the same race or the same gender or the same age, but that question of what is it that makes two people who may be radically different in many, many ways, significant ways, something like age, you know, age and wisdom, et cetera, but still to come back to those two people being equal. Um, and that's sort of where the conversation ended. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so my group, we figured that equality, like we talked about equality for all, but off of you guys, it's kind of awkward. We're, I'm going to be sharing that uh, we pretty much said the same thing, um, but it's okay. Like the equal playing field, but also being honest about like how the playing field isn't equal and like how it came about and to actually face ourselves like James Baldwin said. Um, and without being dismissed as well. So when we're facing these challenges and when we're talking about like how free labor made more white people get economically stable than black people, um, when we talk about that or equality, we have to talk about that piece too. Thank you. 
we'll very go to the next question. quickly, but the gentleman left, and we wanted to say that we started by discussing that um, equal did not have to mean um, erasing difference. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, what? Uh, and so I think we can continue to talk about equality without saying that everybody has to be the same. Um, that was, I think, where, Thank you. Well, other than opportunity, of course, which has already been covered. So we came at that whole question uh, from a systems perspective, that it's hard to have equality within the context of a system that is fundamentally inequitable. So maybe we rethink the system. And then, you know, we talked about it as kind of a three-step process. You have to fundamentally believe in equality, which hopefully moves you to equity, which then hopefully moves you to egalitarianism. And unless we're thinking really systematically about how we change this, the conversation's great, but we're gonna have it again in 20 years. Thank you, thank you. Okay. All right, so we're going to move to our next question. Now I want to go over a couple definitions, if you will. One is thinking about power, right? And what does power mean? So if we think about power as control over systems and institutions, and then adding on that, specifically, an adoption of certain ways of being, and that allows you access to power, we have to keep that in mind. Let's, so let's keep that in mind as a definition of power. Second, thinking about racism. And it's important for us to think about racism, at least in this context, as race prejudice plus power. Okay, race prejudice plus power. So Baldwin generally is critiquing systems of power in connection to race. And the phrase that he's not using is this phrase that we get kind of mixed up with other things, and that's this term white supremacy, right? And so oftentimes when we use that phrase, when we hear that phrase, we think of Aryan Nation, we think of Ku Klux Klan, we think of a lot of different things like that, which that can be part of it, but that's way, way, way in the corner, right? When we think of white supremacy, it's thinking about who has access to power within institutions in a consistent way, right? Consistent, so that doesn't mean if someone who is not of this particular race gets power, then that means the system is no longer a white supremacist system, right? So it's about a consistent access to power and an adoption of certain ways of being. So I'm gonna ask a tough question that I want us to think about that actually Baldwin is asking us to think about. What role does white supremacy play in preventing us from living in the country we think we do? I'm gonna say that again. What role does white supremacy play in preventing us from living in the country we think we live in. 
And how you talk out could be something that was interesting that you may have agreed upon or you may not have agreed upon as a group. That's okay. All right. Which group would like to share with us first? I wanted to say that the question about white supremacy being tied to a power structure, because like James Baldwin said that it doesn't matter how much money you have when you're um, involved in the power structure, if, you fit, if your color fits that color. Like we were talking about, like maybe when my grandmother was a young girl in the South, they would say, well, I might be poor and white, but I'm not a nigger. So I was never held down, even if you were a prestigious black person, you were still shunned upon because even if I was poor and white, because the power structure protects me as a white person. And even if you are working your way up the ladder, I can still look down on you. And I think the best word that we came up with is uh, cognitive dissonance, is that I have to see you not as a human in order to not be guilty. Like that, that, that picture of them being hung, if they would have showed the entire picture, there's little kids in that picture and they're smiling. But this, I don't know, what's her name? The, the speaker that we're talking about, where we got that word from? She gave an example of when this same situation of these little girls, they're smiling as this black man is hanging and he's dying because they don't see him as human. But if they stomp the puppy, you go to jail. If I stomp the puppy to death, I'll go, I'll go to jail. And everybody feels sorrow. So that was what we came up with. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. We briefly discussed um, when looking at the role of white supremacy within America and how um, we can't get to the land of the free or the home of the brave is because America, the United States of America, as we currently know it to be, was created within a power structure to perpetuate um, white supremacy. So it wasn't created for a structure where people were equal given the relationships between Native Americans and then this place and then African Americans and white people the power structure itself was to promote white supremacy. So there's no way that you can get to a land of the free or home of the brave if it was not set up to be that way in the first place. So we need a new system. Thank you. In full transparency, I don't know if we talked about this or if I was talking, my group was like, <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. Well, one of the things we um, talked about was the concept of um, the power to define and how the power to define um, is not accessible to everyone. The power to define really lies in, in whiteness. And, and one of the things that I was talking about in there is that <laughs> I've had times recently when I was talking with folks and I can't even conceive what it's like to be white. Like what the experiences of whiteness, I can't even imagine what the false perception of America is from a white lens because I'm so subtracted from that, I'm a variable inside of an equation I don't belong to. So I'm always subjected to whatever this reality is and I'm interplaying in it. So I can't even imagine what the fake version of America is because that's not mine either. So I, I don't belong to the question at all. Thank you, thank you. So we have extra hands, and unfortunately, we are being removed from the space. Uh, but before you get up, uh, keep in mind, 
um, how we can continue to break the facade or the image that we may have about the country that we live in and what that perspective looks like for other people. It's important for us to be able to hear each other, right? And there's a reason why we may not be very clear about what's going on in Linden or what's going on in the prison system or what's going on in Ferguson or in our backyard because we have a system that's set up for us to not have to pay attention or care. And that's the structure we're talking about. And it's important that we see that structure and not necessarily internalize that as an, a personal attack and really think about it as a series of institutions that we really need to be critiquing on a daily basis. Thank you, everybody, for coming out. Continue these conversations.